Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another exciting episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast. Uh, we've got someone dialing in from over the pond today. Uh, it's a good friend of ours, Director of Sales, Costas Perkis. Costas, I hope I said the last name right. Please tell me if I didn't. Um, you're, you're welcome to bash me. You did an excellent job. Well done, Richard. Uh, you might you might also recognize Costas as being on the UK team, which lost to the US team in our little sales contest a few weeks ago. Uh, if you we'll just talk about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> most most importantly about that, this was uh, Costas's you know idea. This was his his brainchild and everything. And you know, there's so many events that are going on right now. Um, you know, this was like very unique, very different, very fun. Out of 750 plus registrations, I believe that we had for this thing. 950, sorry, um, 950. 950, yeah. yeah. So just uh, you know, kudos to you, man, for taking the initiative and and having that that idea and and making it happen. And I know you guys had a similar event prior to ours, uh, just in the UK with ladies participating and men as well and stuff. So um, it was a lot of fun, man. So thanks, thanks well, for. Being- I- I will take full credit for the idea, Scott. Make no mistake about that. But uh, I guess I, I, I want to give you credit as well because I, I didn't pitch the idea to someone else, but I was invited to a, uh, a podcast. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't want to do a podcast. I mean, me answering questions, can't think of anything more boring, right? And I pitched the idea. I said, listen, why don't we do something like that? Why don't we have someone from the US, someone from the UK, or maybe a group of people? And that individual didn't even register. The idea didn't even register. He couldn't, I don't think he could picture it. When I pitched it to you, within two minutes, you said, yeah, I've got the guys. We're going to make it happen. And within half hour, so it's that visualization of my idea that I didn't have to convince you. I guess maybe at that point, we were on the same wavelength. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, I think, helped get the, uh, the event happening. But it was a great event. It was a great experience. I'm not going to talk about the loss because. You know, you didn't win, guys, but hey, I enjoyed spending time with you guys. Yeah, it's been, been great. Well, t- can you tell us a little bit about the role that you're in and the type of sale that you do so the audience has some context um, okay. with regards to your experience? Well, I, I, I manage a department. Before the crisis, we were about 38 to 40 of us. And I also, in London, and I managed a department in, in Singapore. So what we do, um, the easiest way to understand is we monetize content. So we invite industry, uh, people with pretty, pretty big budgets to attend that event. So literally we sell on the basis of the content, we sell on the basis of the networking opportunity, and we sell on the basis of the development that people uh, can get from attending uh, our events. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a sale on the transactional uh, as, uh, side of the spectrum. So depending obviously on the side of the deal, you can have a, a process that can last up to three months. But usually most of the deals, they are completed within the first three weeks from uh, engagement. Uh, so I've been doing this for, uh, for a few years now with, uh, with the business. So I guess that I'm, I'm a, there's something to brag about. I'm a, I'm a unicorn director. I've been a director of sales for uh, 13 years, 14 years. Wow. So that, that I, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm a, I'm a unicorn director. I'm very proud of that. That's good. That's, 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 a, that's a lot of experience. I've, you're right about where I am. I, I've been in sales leadership for 
16 years now. So what are, what are some of the things that you're still most passionate about working with your team and, and, and selling and, and growth and all that kind of stuff? What are the things about the sales process and leading a sales team that, that you still enjoy and get excited about? You know, over the years, you know, you, you evolve. And uh, I remember when I, uh, when I got given the, the, uh, um, the, the role, obviously I was managing before half the department. So it was, it was natural that I would get it. And I thought, or I believe that I, I got the role because of uh, uh, my uh, attention to detail, process, salesmanship. And as you develop, evolve in the role, you realize that, you know, you're in the people business, you're not in, uh, in, the, in the money-making business. Um, so no matter what process you have, no matter how good your product is, unless you have good people selling it, and unless these people are uh, motivated, trained, coached, they want to stick around and sell it. Uh, so I guess what I'm passionate about is, is seeing people developing. About seven years ago, I made the decision. I said, look, we're going to go organic growth 100%. We're not going to be hiring experience from outside. And we started working with um, graduates or first, second jobbers. And what we've seen is that we get four, five, six, even more years, good years from these guys, by just giving them an opportunity, developing them, and see them grow. And that's, that's why I, uh, I enjoy it. And the, uh, the one thing that was unexpected is that taking that approach, you remain friends with these individuals after, after the tenure with you finished. And I really, really enjoy that. Uh, I have people that they've, um, they've stopped working with me for, what, 10 years? Dubai, I, I get to see them and we talk and, hey, man, I closed my first one million deal. Would you ever, were you ever imagining that nine years ago? I said, no, absolutely no. They, they moved on. And I like that they're still referen referencing the times we had together. So it's all about the people, all about developing the people and see them grow. That really gets me going. And that's how I make my money. I mean, let's, let's be clear here. Yeah. How do you, how do you see the hiring difference um, in, you know, the different markets you've been in, you know, the US versus Singapore versus UK. Um, are you still looking for the same type of people? Or is there a cultural difference that you can key in on uh, in a positive way? Um, how, do you, how do you see those differences in your work and from, from your vantage point? Actually, it's, it's a good question because three, four years ago, I took over the, uh, the Singapore department and it was, it was a very underperforming department. I mean, the, the business, it was struggling. Uh, so it was last throw of the dice. Um, I went there and I didn't know, I, I've never sold in Southeast Asia. I sold in the US, so I, I had interaction with US people, never in, in Southeast Asia. So I didn't know what to expect. So I gave myself four months just to see what kind of people could actually do well. Um, and there it's the, the market is slightly different. They're looking for experience. Experience does matter. Uh, they, 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 they're looking for the five, six years uh, worth of experience. Irrespective customer, of what the customer expects that? The customer expects that? No, no. The Sorry. The company. Okay. Look for the experience. And I believe it because there's no great culture of coaching and training. So you buy the experience. And I ran with that for four or five months. And I saw, look, we're not going anywhere with that. So, I mean, I might as well just try what I, I know it works in London. So my mentality changed and I switched to like, okay, I want to find some of that. And my, my thinking was, would I recruit this person in London? Forget about cultural differences, forget about anything. Would I hire this person in London? But the people I'm looking is, you know, I'm looking to find a, I'm a, I'm a big 
great fan of Mark Roberts, you know, curious people, um, you know, uh, smart uh, people, uh, people that are coachable. And as long as they're optimists and they have the other three qualities, I believe you're in the money. As long as you have a process that you can actually coach them, give them the opportunity and guide them through that development process. So I started doing that and I'm not gonna, okay, I'll take credit, you know, why not? Um, with, because I've replaced the management as well. So with the right management structure there, the results have been phenomenal. But the, the department now, it's completely different. It's like, I would hire these people and I'll put them in London, 100%. So, so if I'm hearing you, the experience doesn't matter as much as they thought it did? You see, experience, I think, I don't want to say it because I, I, I guess I'm making a statement, but I believe in sales experience is overrated to some extent, depending obviously what, what you're selling. Now, if you can move within your market and you can you know, bring clients with you, I think that experience, it does matter. If you, if you operate on a complex sale, I think it does matter. If you're a startup and you pay top dollar to get some experience, an experienced rainmaker, just to get you, you know, going, absolutely fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I just feel that for a more for a transactional sales, I think attitude is more important than, than experience, right? Yeah. And whether I mean, you're able to comprehend I, I agree with I agree with that hundred percent. Richard knows that I agree with that. I've written about that many times before. And you know, I think Costas made a really good point is that he didn't just switch out some of the hiring practices or the AEs there. He switched out the leadership team yeah. as well. And so, you know, he probably brought in leaders who have experience with this type of sale, uh, this type of, you know, transaction and, and building an office and, and creating a culture and that kind of thing. And he also said something that's, that's really critical. It's like, as long as you have the process in place, then you can take people who are maybe more junior and train yeah. them up, right? And, and it's those things that matter more than, you know, does this AE candidate check the box of having five years of SaaS selling experience? Like, I'm a costist. Like, I don't care about that shit, you know? I care about, you know, who somebody is, who they want to be, how bad they want to make something happen, and, and to use his words, you know, the attitude. Do you think it's as equally, well, and let, you know, outside this moment of COVID, right? You know, sort of in, you know, think back to January, February, even last year, do you think it was harder or easier to hire in any one place than it was anywhere else? Or is it still, you know, it's hard to find, you can find salespeople, but it's hard to find good ones. Yeah, I mean, look, um, the, 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 uh, the Southeast Asian market is it's tough. It's a tough gig to, to, to find people because, you know, uh, we're based in Singapore and, um, they don't like doing sales. It's not a profession that they they feel it's a, it's a career, right? Remind me of my early years when I moved from Greece to, to, to London, to, to the UK. Well, although I was doing well in sales, my mindset was like, find a job that you can actually explain to your father and your mother to, to, and they can understand what you do, right? Um, and I think it's, 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 it's that. I don't think that it's difficult to find the right person. I think, I think that there's talent no matter how much you pay. So at any pay bracket, you can find the right talent. I believe that. What has happened in the last three or four years, definitely in London, became more challenging. And primarily because of all the money that uh, venture capital firms throw at technology companies, right? Because they're trying to find the next big, the next unicorn that they can sell in five years for, I don't know, two billion and everything like that. And they throw a lot of money 
in that first second job a graduate market and then you're thinking well i don't want to compete with that because this is crazy money i'm not i'm not a company that has a five-year exit and if you survive five years great i'm a company that you know i invest in people my management team the young well i have people that have been with me for a minimum of, of five and a half years right i invest in people i i see they're they're, they're buying the first house in london which is a big all my managers they own their own place in london but to me that's uh, a sign of success right it's how, not, do you, how do you build that though costas what do you do you know at a tactical level right of like hey i'm, I'm going to teach i want to make sure they know how to do these things but then what's that other intangible piece, right? The part that builds loyalty, the part that builds trust, that builds these nine and 10 year relationships, right? Because I, I have the same philosophy, right? But I, I'm just curious how you approach it uh, for your teams. Look, Mike, like I said, all the way from the beginning that I, I wasn't the person I am today or the manager I am today 30 years ago because my focus was at the different, uh, at different things. For example, it was around the process, around the, the salesmanship, um, and I, I now more working on what is called my soft skills. I care about the people that I work with, right? I'm the kind of guy that, obviously, from my our interaction, you may may have um, gathered that. If I don't like someone, that's it. I don't like that individual. I'm not going to work with them. So by by hiring people that I like as humans, I care about them as human beings. So by coaching them, not as salespeople, but coaching them as people you know, throughout the life. And also because I hire younger people, a 24 year old, right? They don't have any idea about finance. They don't have any idea about what's your plan of, of buying your first house. By having that kind of interaction with them during working hours, outside working hours, I'm 47 and I go out and I do tough mother with these kids, right? And I, and I, I train for three months before because these, these, these are kids that go to the gym. I just want to be part of that, of that uh, culture. And what I think happens is that they talk to me about pretty much anything even on a personal level. I remember, in, I'll give you an example. Well, I hopefully, they don't follow me much on LinkedIn, so they won't hear this, but there was this guy that had an issue and with the law. And that was his one call, his first call. There was a reason for that. Been there, been there. That <laughs> was, was the first point of call. And you know what, to me, that, that, that did matter. You know, that there was a reason why he, didn't want to call his family, but he called me and you're thinking, wow, that's a huge responsibility. I had people calling me at three o'clock, telling me, listen, I do not know where I am. I'm, 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 I'm concerned, you know, being out and everything like that. And I had to actually say, look, where are you? Go and speak to that person, keep the phone on. All people that they, they were going through a bereavement and I had to make sure that I pushed the business. So listen, we need to pay for some, um, someone to see that individual, some specialist, because I cannot deal with that. I don't have the, the necessary experience. And, you know, and I think that, 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 you know, people care about that. They, they, do, they do genuinely care. And I care about that. I mean, I do not care about having developed the, the next sales superstar, right? I care about having developed the personal yeah, the wanna, better job. I want to I ask you a question. You said, you know, you, you like to hire people you like, which I get. Like, I understand that. But my big concern is that you end up hiring a too many people just like you, so you don't get that difference of opinion. So is there somewhere in your head where it's like, well, I wanna hire people I want to try and get along with, but they don't have to be like me. They can be more quiet, they can be more boisterous, they can be more introverted or extroverted, whatever. Define that word like as, as the way you've seen it 
because I, I don't, I'm not a fan of trying to hire everybody I like. I try to find no, you're right. who I'm, I'm, Absolutely right. Uh, let me just clarify that. I like people that are smart, people that are, I, they can show me that they're coachable, or I can find out if they're coachable during the interview process, uh, and people that are curious. And on top of that, I like people that have an optimistic view of life. Now, that can be applied to men, women, whatever, right? Now, if in the, during the interview process, I feel that this is the kind of person that we get in, I will get them into the team. Now, what happens afterwards is that they obviously dispense. We've got two, well, we had two divisions. Let's, let's talk about what was happening pre corners Two divisions. I spend time just on the coaching side with these individuals. But what happens is, you know, in the first six months, you get to know people. And, you know, the more you get involved with their successes, the more they open up. And my, you know, I mean, um, I was trained to actually have an agenda for one-to-ones. I said, look, let's, let's scrap that, right? All I need is three hours uh, uh, per month with individuals. I just want to know. I just want to be able to coach the, the account. I just want to be able to coach the skill. And then I just want to talk, you know, crap with them. I just want to get to know them as, as human beings. I want to go out with them so I get to know them outside. And this is what I'm talking about. Then you get to like the people because you just, you just got to know them, right? But no, when the selection criteria, they remain the same. Smart, curious, optimist uh, uh, individuals. I want to I ask you a question. You know, you said in Singapore that, you know, sales is not an easier job to recruit for. It's not something people think about. And I think that's even relatable to, you know, in other parts of the world, particularly when the economy's good, right? When you can't find good salespeople. How did you find people in Singapore then? What did you do to think outside the box? Or did you, did you literally have to import them in from, from the U.S. or London or some other part of the world? Uh, I'm just curious how you actually, how you attack that problem of when I can't find the right kinds of people. Here's what I did. We we used um, uh, people's uh, networks because in Singapore you obviously have the problem with um, unless you're Singaporean you have to have you have a certain number of licenses and if you have a company you can't use all licenses with one department. So if you want to bring someone from know, Malaysia, for example. Uh, you can you can just can't do it. If you want to bring an expat, a US guy, you have to, to have enough Singaporeans. So we were working a lot with personal network. So it's literally um, seeing uh, who's doing well and just tap into their network and approach these individuals. So it was more of, of a headhunting exercise rather than just the classic, I advertise, people apply, and that's what, what it is. Because we did try that, and I got involved with that with, with the uh, hiring process. So people will call me, they will go through an exercise with me just to see how they come across. Because I phone screen every single, even in London, I, I phone screen everyone who applies with us because you just never know where the talent is, right? Um, and that wasn't working very well. So we say, great, let's go hand hunting now. Who do you know that is in sales? Or who do you know what kind of person would you explain them what person, kind of person could do well here? And we were just literally going through people's personal network. And that, worked very, very well. Did you have to convince people who weren't sales people to become salespeople? Or did you actually find salespeople through the networking? Okay. Sales or, or customer service. There had to be there had to be some kind of interaction with, with customers. Right. Uh, so sales, yeah, would be an ideal and we did we did hire salespeople, but it was more like customer facing roles. And then you work on the skill. Yeah, and, and again, the de- I know the definition could be different, but 
how did you convince someone? What kind of things did you coach this customer success person as to why they should come into sales? Did you have to sell them that hard? Or when you found those people, they were glad to come into sales? Well, keep in mind that everyone who's thinking about, look, everyone who's looking for a job, there's, there's a problem with their current employer, right? So for me, it was just to have a conversation and you would just ask them, about well, how's it going? And you said, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy and everything like that. Great. Talk to me about what you're going to be doing in the next two years. You've been there for three years. What will you be doing in the next two years? And I think that this is the gap that a lot of companies uh, uh, have. That's the gap. That's a sweet spot for me to say, okay, oh, but do not know and this. So you start uncovering what sales. I mean, I'm trying to actually, it's a sales process, right? So you're uncovering what is the gap. Figure out if there's a, if there's a, I want to be there. If there's a future uh, state that this person wants to be in, and you're trying to actually figure out if you can uh, if you can uh, uh, cover that, that need. It did work sometimes. Uh, to be honest, it worked more more times than than I thought it would, but not to the level that it works in in London, where we know the market, we know how we operate. Sales is becoming more and more of a sexy. You know, sales is sexy. Like it's it's what it is. It wasn't sexy let, 15 years ago. It is now. Let Let's go back a little bit then, because. <clears throat> You know, you, you come from Greece and you were talking about how, you know, in Singapore, you know, sales is not necessarily viewed upon as like this top profession, right? The way, I don't know, doctors, lawyers, teachers, maybe even, I mean, even to this day, my mom will still say to me, like, you know, you should have been a lawyer. You're so good at arguing stuff. It's like, uh, I'm doing okay, you know, as I, as I am, why should I go be a lawyer? I'm curious, what did your family support you going into to sales when you did? Or they is your family entrepreneurial? Like, where did this idea to yeah. go into sales come from, and, and how did you get your start? It's uh, it's it's funny because my brother has his own business, so he's into like um, uh, supplying restaurants uh, with you know a lot of products. So he started literally buying his own fridge freezer sourcing i don't know whatever he was sourcing and selling it and now he's i think he's high he's he's is uh, a business of 15 individuals right it's been going for the last 20 years but my parents weren't like that at all i mean they were like steady job working for the government you make sure that the pension is great and that was ingrained in you right so i went to university and then i realized that wow my options here are like I can, my, my, I can only be a teacher, right? I don't, I don't want to be a teacher. And um, then I went to the army, you know, things changed slightly over there. I became more of a man, you know, started taking more responsibility. And then I met my wife and I had to make a decision either stay in, in, in Greece, explore a potential steady job or jump into the unknown and come to, to London. Now, when you, when you, I took obviously the, the, the latter option and you come to London, you realize it's a different world, right? I mean, living in Athens with 5 million, coming to London with 9 million, that's a different world completely. And obviously because I was in the job market. And then you realize that, yeah, you can find a steady job, but it will pay you, I don't know, 25,000 pounds a year. Go and live with that. So uh, I, I then realized that what do I want to do? I, sat, I remember sitting down with my now wife and she said, look, what do you want to do? And I had no idea. I said, look, it would be great if I can make 100,000 pounds as soon as possible. And he said, what sells? Because no one else will hire you with a degree in theology, right? That's, that's your only shot legally to make yeah, it Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or illegally, you're right. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I might as well just try sales. No idea 
where this will take you. And sometimes things happen for, for a reason. And I went, you know, like first job, you're doing well, naive, ask for a stupid pay rise. They said, you're crazy. Of course, I'm not going to give you this pay rise. I resign. I go on holiday. I did that. Come back, no job. Start all over again. You find the second job. Something happens. You know, the company moves to the Midlands. I was living in London. I didn't know what Midlands were, let, let, let alone going to work there. You start again. Until then, you find the one job, that, which is what I, what I do now, where it just feels natural, right? You make a lot of money. You make customers, which I think for me it's important. You make money because you make customers. So, you know, talking to people that appreciate what you do, you can actually see how you're helping people. That's it. I'm hooked. I can Oh, and I'm making money. I'm hooked. I can continue doing that. But back then, I thought it was, it was different. We had to convince a lot of people to do sales. Now, I see some crazy degrees, biochemistry, whatever, like crazy law. They just want to do sales because it's, it's sexy, it's money, it's exposure, it's crazy. Um, I've never seen that. Definitely the last three years has changed in London. That was like the 80s in the United States. So. I, I, we wouldn't know, Richard. We wouldn't know. I know. 80s. We're too young. Oh, high school. Yeah, we were in school still. Yes, I'm, <laughs> aware. I'm well aware. What are, um, what are the hardest parts of, of manage? Well, actually, I'm going to ask a different question. What do you think, because you talk to people all over the world, what do you think matters most to people about being in sales? Leadership, coaching, money, like where does all that fall as you've hired all these people in different, in different cultures? And it's very possible that, look, in this country it's this, because that's their background, and in this country it's that. Like, have you noticed anything? Look, the, I think the, uh, the fundamental is that people want to do well, and they want to know that they do well, and they expect companies, people, leaders to help them. Now, that manifests in different ways, like people chase careers. I mean, in London, they're very career-focused. In Southeast Asia, they're more money-focused. But the, the desire to do well, you know, Dan, Dan Pink said, said it well, better than me. And I used this in our uh, takedown, not listen to me. So Dan Pink speaks about, about autonomy. That's the first thing that drives us. Then it speaks about mastery. So you're mastering the skill. And then you look for purpose, right? So most people look for that purpose. I want to get better at what I do. And some people say, look, I want to, I want to make more money. And the question is, how do you expect to make more money? And it goes back to like, you need to get better. You need to actually master this. So I think my experience is Southeast Asia is, is money. That's what they will say mostly. And London, Europe is definitely more now, is definitely Korea. Look, 18 years ago, 20 years ago, when I, when I was starting, it was pure money. I mean, maybe because I started, I joined the startup. My company then was a startup. It's, it's not the, the company we are now. There was, no, there was no career path. Everyone was doing everything, right? Like startup, you know how it is. Like, you, you don't know where you're going to be next year. Just making money to survive, pay the commissions, grow, and see where this takes you. Now all the kids are coming in, they know exactly what they're looking for. And they're asking, how are you going to train me? And what are the career options? Nobody's asking for money anymore, which is fine. But what they're saying is like, okay, I'm entrusting you with my career. Where are you going to take me in the next three years? What do they want in their career? Well, they all talk about the, uh, the, the, their five-year plans. I, I personally don't care about their 5 years plans. You know, they're trying to, to impress like, Five years, I want to manage. I, all salespeople want to manage a team, right? If you were to explain to them, if you were to give them 
like a, 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 an idea of what it is to manage people that would probably say, whoa, 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 I don't want to do that. Definitely in my 20s, right? Uh, but I do believe it's, it's they want to learn the skill. Everyone else think, thinks that sales is a skill that can be learned. Back in the day, it was more like, you know, the, the gift of the gab, like the social guys. The, that's not, now it's, I, I used to believe that uh, sales is an art. I think now more is a science. And these kids know that. You know, when you go, when you go on, on uh, yeah, exactly. I, I read your, your, your post, uh, Richard. When you say that, these, these kids are smart, right? You know, they, they start processing things and thinking, wow, it can be learned. I can actually see, I can go from 50 grand to 100 grand to 200. It's a process. Yeah, it's a process. It's not luck anymore. It's not like I, the person with the, the accounts gets all the money. You can actually become that individual. Uh, so that's what they want. They just want to get better. They want to learn the skill. What, <clears throat> what advice would you give somebody who's um, entering the European market? Let's say, let's say, let's say I'm a, a US-based company and I'm a US-based seller. And I just got handed the, the UK as my, as my territory. What do I not know about UK buyers that I need to know? Because you've sold all across the world. You've sold in the US, you've sold in the UK, you've sold in Southeast Asia. Ed, educate me as, as, a, as a US seller, what, what, is, what is different about selling into the UK versus selling in, in America, in, in, in the States? Listen, I mean, as a company that I remember when uh, I think it was Outreach, they opened their, their offices in, in London. I thought it was a great move. You know, Brexit, you know, happened for a reason, right? Yeah. The UK people will primarily buy from UK companies or companies that have, they have presence in, in, in Britain. So that works for all Europeans. So if you were to actually open up, if you want to actually do business with the European market, you'll do much better, penetrate that market better if you have presence there. Now, whether they're US guys or that doesn't really matter, right? But you have the presence uh, there. I mean, it's uh, uh, the UK people, and I don't think they differ to the US. That special relationship runs deep, as, as we know. They buy the same, the same way. The certain differences uh, in uh, other European markets, for example, you guys sold in, in Germany? Any product? You know, the Germans are, are, are uh, yep. a bit ROI. They want to know exactly what this is going to do. They're more technical. They, they ask more questions, harder questions. And, you know, they might take a bit longer to make a decision because I think it's their thought process. When they make the decision, they're all in, right? So it's great people to do business with. But when you go to the Nordics, the Nordics care more about the individual, what it does for me. They care more about, in, 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 in our um, industry, they care about, who am I not networking with? If I'm going to invest three days of my life, who will I be able to meet? Uh, so the care, it's, it, there's difference to the approach. So you don't go hardcore with, okay, what's your specifications of your product, with the product, what the product does for the individual. So I would say that these are the two main differences that I've encountered. Yeah. Now, when you go to Southeast Asia, it's, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a combination of, of the two. Look, I've never experienced that, and I, I do a lot of call coaching, and I, I just have to, 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 to change what I do with the guys because it's very process-driven. So you have a seller that follows a process, and you've got a, a buyer that follows their own process. I've never seen that. There's no much conversation happening like, hey, man, how's it going? None of that. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it was a learning curve for me. When I went there with my, with my training materials, 
And I used to talk to the team and they were all nodding, oh yeah, absolutely. They, they would go back to the phone and I thought, what is this? <laughs> adjust what we were doing. I mean, I took the, the job in Singapore, like I said, because I mean, the, the business wasn't making any money. So I said, look, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for, they said, look, can you help us? I said, fine, I'll do it for free, no, no problem. Because I just wanted to, to, to find out. Four months in, I thought, wow, what am I? What have I done? Can I, can I get out? I couldn't. Yeah. And I'm still going strong with, with the Singapore office. When, you, when, when, you do your, when you do your call coaching, um, <clears throat> are, you, are you somebody who tries to call coach like before the call, during calls, after calls only, or you know, a mixture of, of all of the above? What is, what is your best way to deliver call coaching? I, I think the worst thing you can actually do is to, to, to coach live as things happen. I hate that. Mm. Puts people under pressure, they sound robotic, and to be honest, I don't think they learn anything because they're under pressure, right? Depending, obviously, who you're speaking with. I prefer to actually do coaching, coaching the account, or coaching the opportunity during a pipeline meeting, where you just let people talk to you about what, what was the conversation about, how big is the account, what's their approach, and coach afterwards when you actually have recorded the call. So you coach, first of all, their understanding of the opportunity, and then you coach the skill afterwards. I would never touch anyone who is mid-pitch trying to better. And there was some, someone on LinkedIn I was seeing. I, I was cringe. I, was, I couldn't see it. He was actually doing that. So the camera was on that individual, giving advice to someone who you couldn't even see. And I thought that's the worst thing. That's not coaching. That's you showing, that, showing off, like, oh, say this because it worked for me. So it's before and after, nothing in between. I mean, look, we... we we manage adults, right? Adults understand context. If I've given you the right context based on the information you've given me before the call, and then I give you the right context, hopefully, after the call, you know that's an experience you've gained. You can do it again. How much time, how much time do you think you're spending every single day, every single week doing these, these call coaching uh, I, sessions? I think, I think this is an important point um, to get at because I think – a lot of sales managers, heads of sales, whatever the role is, sales leadership, everybody talks about like, oh, we need more coaching. We got to coach our reps. And they're like, yeah, I, I, I love coaching reps. And then I ask them sometimes like, well, how much time are you actually spending doing that? Like sitting with one person and listening and dissecting a call and saying, hey, pause. Hear what you did right there? Pause here. Hear what that guy said right here? How much time do you think you're spending every single day? I'm curious so people can get a frame of reference like, wow, if I really want to be call coaching, I should spend X percent of my time doing, doing this. Every day between 8.30 and 10, I listen to calls. I do, we have obviously a software. So you got it, you've, got it, you've got it blocked two hours yeah. every day. You've got it blocked. Well, an, hour, an hour and a half. Yeah, okay. an hour and a half every day. Yeah. yeah, this is what we call a prime time where we expect most people not to have meetings so to, to get, you know, the, the, the start the day properly, right? So I, I'm, I'm there unless my boss is asking for a meeting that I cannot move. So 8.30 till 10, every single day, I will listen to, to, to calls. What that does is like, I mean, I can send them an email by, hey, listen, great that you did this, but that's a tip. So what I do then when I listen to individuals or I listen to different divisions, we just uh, agree with the management, with the management team, what we're going to do this, what we're going to train this week. So then we have group sessions where people, osmosis, people learn from others. And then we identify based on skill set, what do we need to train people? Let's say, um, you know, someone who's been with us for three years, right? They should know X. So we identify maybe 
small areas of development just to keep it fresh all yeah. the time. So yeah. I, that's why I committed to earlier the last year that it will be three hours minimum per person at any level coaching. Now, like I said, coaching is not only listening to the skill, it's, it's obviously the opportunity. Sure. So I include sure. that in the, the three hours. Yeah. Yeah. But, just, but just the call coaching <clears throat> that you're doing is about, now I did the, some math real quick here. It's about 19% of your standard work week, seven and a half divided by 40 hours. It's rounds up a little bit to, to 19% of your time. That, that's, a good, that's a good chunk of time. And that doesn't count all the other coaching that you're doing yeah. outside of just listening to, to calls. Right. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not selling, right? So all I do is pure. Sure, sure. Yeah. Coaching. Yeah. 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 You're not, you know, you're not an individual contributor and a, yeah. a sales leader. Yeah. Kind of trying to get off mute. How do you, how do you handle people? And, and, you know, I think with your team and, and maybe it sounds like you built it in, but do you, how do you handle people who want to disagree with your coaching? They're like, Hey, I, I hear what you're saying, Costas, but here's what I think. Oh God, or, this is every sales leader's worst right. thing. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I might be saying it a whole lot nicer. Um, how do you handle that as a leader um, to either, you know, hopefully to get them to, to give it a shot, you know, without, without sort of beating them on the head like Scott would do? I'm absolutely fine with people disagreeing with me. You know, I'm, I'm not there to pick up arguments with people. Um, and you know what? Sometimes maybe they're right. Maybe I don't maybe, believe you, Costas. I don't think you're okay with people disagreeing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine, but listen, I, I just I have I have an opinion, and I try to 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 um, to help people the best way I can. Some sometimes people take my advice. Sometimes people don't take my advice, and they tell me that they will not take my advice, and it's fine. You know what? I go with great. You do it your way. Let's reconvene and let's see what happens. And if they're right, you know what? Great, well done, job well done. If they're not right, let's figure out what happened. Okay? Because it's about. Look, you know, coaching is like, a, I don't know, man, it's like a, a car journey, right? Unless we agree on the destination, uh, unless we agree on how I'm going to get there, you know, people will get off, right? So I need to, I'm not, I'm not there to actually force people to be coached. I'm getting paid to do a job. I want them to develop. I think I've got a process. Now, maybe I need to convince some people, and it's fine. By them making mistakes, it's fine. I'll, they'll, they'll come back. Now, the problem I have is with people that say, Point blank, don't need that. Thank you very much. That when I lose my rank, that is that is unacceptable. I mean, honestly, people disagreeing is fine. People not doing it, it's not fine. Yeah. How do you? What do you do with those people? What do you? I mean, is it my way or the highway, as we say in the United no, States? No, 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 no. Again, I will use stronger language. Again, I operate on very, very much on trust, right? So the people have been with us for like, I have 25 individuals that have been with us for at least three years. And that's a, you know, they know me for three years. They've seen me at the best, the low, whatever, right? So they know what to expect. So we're going to have that conversation. They walk around the building. I call it, I call it the walk around the building. I say, hey man, listen, what's happening here? I need your help. I had, we had, for example, when we uh, introduced the call coaching software, people started saying, oof, I don't know, you know, listen to my calls. The only reason is that because they thought that they were better, well, they thought that the people will uncover uh, uh, development areas and they didn't like that, maybe. So yeah, I, some people aren't, aren't ready for yeah. 
you know, to learn a particular lesson. But, but you know why? It's, it's also because the, uh, the most experienced people, the people that make more of money, because we leave them for a long time. We don't coach them. You're thinking, well, you're making money. You're happy. I've yeah. got more other priorities. So when you say, listen, I need you to do this. And they were questioning, so why? I said, A, because I think they can make it better. But I might be wrong here. But what I expect of someone of your stage uh, that makes this amount of money, has been with us for so long, is to help me train the other guys. Mm-hmm. So by convincing them that there's, you know, a common cause, right? Something for the, you know, for the greater good that you can actually help me. They started recording the calls. Then you bring them into the classroom training. You pick them up. And then they started giving you more, more, more calls and everything. And then you have a culture where everyone agrees that listening to calls, getting feedback, as long as the feedback is given the right way, is the best culture. And that's the culture I want to, I want to be in, right? That's great. I mean, I would love to be honest. I would love to sit in a chair, making a ton of money, not doing much. But that will only last me what a week, two weeks. Then I don't know. You'd have to. You'd have to ask Richard. He's been doing that for like eight years. <laughs> Fuck you, man. That's not true. That's not true. You know better. You know way better than that. So, like, you're the one who told me to slow down. Right. Uh, I think you're the one who were like, "Hey, Richard, at your age, I'm really concerned yeah. about you." Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. And we're, we're, uh, this has been great Costas. We're, we're getting towards, towards the end of the, of the show here. We always try to, um, offer some help or assistance in any way we can to, to the, to the guests. Um, so I don't know if, you know, if you have any initiatives that you're working on or, or things that you want to talk about or just general, you know, questions or advice that we can give you on some level, but, um, We'd love to kind of turn it over to you. Well, and, you, you you've given me advice, uh, Scott, recently. Yeah, I mean, right, I mean, right now, you know. Yeah. He's, he's given me advice, one word. So I had to figure out a whole plan of action based on that word. You were bored that night, weren't you? Ask a question. It was a very deep question. Now, listen. What was the question? I, what was the question? Do you remember the question? I remember the question, yeah. Go you ahead. don't remember it. Go, go ahead. Throw me, throw me over the coals. Go ahead. Go ahead. Anyway, you gave me advice. I think I made the plan, which is fine. Uh, look, I mean, I said to, to, to Scott, when Scott reached out in January, uh, I said, hey, man, I, I have no idea why you, you want to invite me here at, at your podcast. Because here's the thing. I knew about the podcast, right? I didn't know Scott or Harris or, or Richard, but I knew about the podcast. I remember seeing a picture of maybe your second surf and sales uh, retreat, and I think that Scott was was lecturing. Looked like that. Like I told you, Bondi. What is it, Bondi? Bondi? Bondi for uh, Bondi. Uh, Point Break. Point Break. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that you were the uh, uh, the uh, surf instructor. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought that guy looks looks. He can't be anyone serious. He must be the surf. And I thought that you guys like teach several. No way well. he's teaching anybody anything. That's so funny. So listen, I'm appreciative of the of the opportunity. I am the second Brit after Daniel Disney. I mean, come on, right? And I'm the first Greek ever yeah. to have graced Surf and Sales podcast. I do yeah. believe though that you guys need to to venture more into the uh, into the European market. I do think that there's a ton of value that you guys can can add. Yeah. I just feel that sometimes because the US is such a big market and you're busy, I don't think that you, you, you reach out to the European market. And that was my idea about bringing the US and the UK together yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah. It's just, 
it's just we we have so much shared knowledge experience that we yeah. need to, to learn from each other i think that's i think that's a good push for us you know yes. that's good advice for us and a good a good kick in the pants and be like hey guys you know go go reach out to some folks over here um and we, you know we because of the event i can think of three or four others that were on there that we can reach out to for sure right away and, and just in general you're right you know we we haven't done a great job of balancing things so far but we're only four months into this right you know yeah. and i don't know the exact number but you're pretty close to episode 80 or something like that 70, um, 70. i was i was high up in the list scott right well, we've I had remember my first, my, my first ever podcast was this, this guy, great guy, that said, hey, listen, I've got a plan, he said. I want to speak to 100 sales leaders, and you made the list. And I said, when did you start? January. And it was uh, five days before Christmas. And I thought, well, I, didn't, I wasn't high up in your list of 100 people <laughs> if it's taking you a year, right? So Costas, I'm, I'm already... Costas, we were so eager to get to you that we have pumped through 76 episodes in four months just to yeah, get to you. <laughs> Right, so oh, we didn't correct. want you to have that experience. Oh, that, that was smooth. That was so yeah. smooth. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, well, I appreciate, I appreciate uh, you know being here, and I really, really appreciate getting to know you guys. And uh, yeah, for all the uh, interaction we had, hopefully we'll continue, right? Yeah, it's, it's been great. You did. This was a great episode. I love all the stuff that you were saying. I wrote down a bunch of uh, great. You quotes. gotta say it, man. You gotta say it. I'm going to. I wrote down a bunch of great quotes. You're in the people business, for example. Um, so this is, this is going to be great. And, uh, yeah, thanks for spending some time with us and, you know, we'll be in, we'll be in touch a lot more, uh, soon. We'll get some help from you too, recruiting some other people from the UK that maybe we don't know about to get on the show. It'd be great. Yeah, man. I can give you recommendations all the time. Cool. Great. Cheers, right. guys. Thank you.